Well, good morning to you. It's good to be together here in this room and live and down in Blend and Amped and over in Bearden and Roan County. We're gathered together as one church today. It's good to be together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, my name's Mark, and if you've uh, not met me, I'd love to meet you after the service. Stop by, and if you need to drive over and say hi, drive over and say hi, whatever you need to do. Hey, we're glad you're here. Let me tell you something. Several years ago, we had some folks that came over for dinner. And you know, it's somewhat polite when you go to someone's house for dinner to kind of bring something, right? So these folks came over to dinner, and they brought us a loaf of bread. It was amazing. I've lived in the South for 33 years. It's the best bread I've ever had. Now, don't hear me knock in the South because you got barbecue. we got so much going on for us down here. Seriously, and I've lived almost long. I think I've lived longer in the South than I've lived in the North. So I'm not banging the South. But here's the deal. You can't get that good Northern bread down South. You can't do it. And if, you, if you're from another area of the country, you know what I'm talking about. That bread that has that like dense inside, like it's so dense and wonderful. And the outside's kind of crunchy and crispy and golden brown. It's amazing. It's perfect for like sopping up sauce after spaghetti, right? It just absorbs it all. And then that crunch in your mouth, it's phenomenal. This bread was unbelievable and I've enjoyed it so much. In fact, that, that, that bread is, is so great. It's just good by itself. Or better than that, when I put butter on bread, I like ice a cake, right? And then just for good measure, a little salt on top, right? That's real healthy, good stuff. And I tell you, this bread, it's the best toast you've ever had in your life. Anybody getting hungry? I am. I feel ravenous all of a sudden, right? And so I said to my buddy Bruce, Bruce, teach me to make this bread. So Bruce came over one day and taught me how to make that bread. And it's amazing. I've taught a lot of other people how to make that bread. I've made hundreds of loaves of this bread. It's that incredible. I taught two of my brothers to make that bread. They're making it and giving it away. I've taught my father-in-law to make that bread. I've taught a sister-in-law. I've taught a ton of friends who are making that bread, and they're giving that bread away. It's a whole bread movement. You need to get in and be a part of it. A couple months ago, a guy reached out to me, one of the fathers of our staff members, Aaron DeShazo, Joey Carloni called me. He said, he said Mark, this bread, it's the best bread I've had since I've lived in the South. Yeah, it is, isn't it? He's a northerner living in the South, so I, I taught him how to make the bread through text messaging. Joey Carloni down in, down in Florida, he's making the bread. You know what I'm saying? It's good stuff. Amazing stuff. I'm confident. I'm not confident about a lot of things. I'm confident in my bread making. That's what I have to offer. I'm just as confident. I'm just as confident in teaching you to make bread because it's that easy. What I'm a little less confident about, about is about what we're going to get after today in Ephesians chapter 4. Yeah, there's the transition, right? Get in your scriptures, get in your smartphone, get your journal out. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We've got to swing back before we swing forward. But, but I'm a little less confident in actually getting us to a place where I believe Paul's called us to be because he's called us to be in a place. He's called, he's called us to own a part of our identity that I think most of us, if we're really honest, wrestle with. And I got to tell you, I've been on a journey in this as well. So it's really fun to be able to actually be in the scriptures so I can teach it. And, and the reality is I'm still struggling in this. I'm still moving in progression in this, and I hope you, you will too and, and move with me. But, but what he's calling us to and who he's defining us to be is holy. We're a holy people, and as a follower of Jesus, my identity requires me to live out holiness. As a follower of Jesus, my, my identity, who I am, we've been talking about our identity in Christ, my identity requires me to live out holiness. And so before we get into chapter 14, I love that metaphor, you got to swing back before you swing forward. we got to swing back a little bit. 
So what's holiness? Paul's been defining this and describing it really all throughout his letter. All the way back foundationally in the first three chapters, he's been telling us what holiness is. Chapter one, he, 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 he comes out of the gate and he goes, this is, this is who I'm calling you to be. I'm calling you to be a holy people, set apart, saints. A saint is a holy person. A saint is a person who's set apart. Set apart from what? That we'd be a people, that we'd be saints. Set apart from what? Set apart from the world. Because we have a new nature we have new loyalties. We have a brand new agenda. Back in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be, say it with me, holy and blameless before him. That we should be this. This is before the foundation of the world. Wrap your mind around that. Before creation existed, he said, I had this in mind that you would be a people who are holy and blameless. And how do we get to be in this spot of being holy and blameless? He tells us in verse 7, it's Jesus who made us holy. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And then he goes on into verses 13 and 14, still in chapter 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." Now, I know we use the phrase oftentimes and, and, and the term Holy Spirit, but don't miss it. You've been sealed as followers of Christ in the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit? Holy. Where does he dwell? In the temple. What's the temple? Holy. Paul's going, you're a holy people because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit because Jesus, what Jesus did and, and did for you and I on the cross. And then again in verses 16 and 18, he refers to Christians as saints again. He says, you're set apart, you're set apart, you're saints, you're a holy people. He moves into chapter 2 and he reminds them that this holiness was imputed to them. Again, it's by Jesus. You were once far off, but now you've been brought close in by the blood of Christ. Verse 13. You've been made into a new humanity, a new nature. We spent a whole week talking about this in verse 17. Here's what Paul is saying to Christians. Here's what he's saying to saints. Here's what he's saying to followers of Jesus. And here's what he's saying to you and I. As a follower of Christ, my identity requires me to live out holiness. We're called to live out of who we are. And as we come into chapter 4, Paul's encouraging the church to be who you are. He's saying, as a follower of Christ, be who you are. Be this. Be holy. And as we need to swing back at the beginning of chapter 4, when he makes this shift from the first three chapters to the second three, he moves in and, and, and he says to us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, here's Paul speaking, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. I urge you to do this, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. He sets the stage for everything he's going to cover in the second half of this book the second half of this letter. And he certainly sets the stage for us today. You ready to get to today's text finally? Chapter 4, verse 17. Let's jump in. He says this, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
He's calling us to be a people who are holy. We've, we have a collective identity now as who we are. He, he says, you're the saints, you're followers, and as a follower, you're a saint. But, but our collective identity emerges and comes from within each and every one of us who've been made right, who've been made holy by Christ himself. And so our holiness corporately has everything to do with how you live individually and personally. So as a follower of Jesus, my identity requires me to no longer think in old ways. And that's what he's getting after here. He says, it's, it's important that you get this. You no longer need to think in the old ways how you once thought. The old ways no longer define you. And he reminds them in so doing not to go back to the old ways. And he reminds them in doing this that, that there's something bigger that's taken place. And up until this part, if you notice in, in, in Paul's letter here, remember back in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, he says, I'm so encouraged by your faith. I'm so encouraged by your faith and the love you have for one another. You Jews and Gentiles are living in concert and community with each other. It's a beautiful sight to behold because culturally you're so different and yet you're living in unity with each other. Why? Because of your love for Jesus because of the gospel. And here's something trans transpires here that's a little bit different. Now he's saying, don't live like Gentiles. So what's he saying? First, he's glad that they're united in, in their, their unity of faith and in the gospel. And now he's saying, don't live that way. Here's what he's saying. Here's what's really cool about this. Here's what emerges. You're no longer a Gentile. And inherent in that, you're no longer a Jew. You're a new people. You have a new identity. You have a new reality, a new humanity that now defines you. And it's called the church. You're now followers of Jesus. And what he says to these folks, he says, don't live as people who don't know Jesus. Don't live as people who don't know Jesus. We like to hear that in the positive. Hey, live like people who know Jesus. That's pleasant, right? That's an encouragement. But I think there's a, a stronger emphasis. It's, it's emphatic when he says, don't live like people who don't know Jesus. He's getting straight up in our business. Don't live like people who don't know Jesus. And Paul's pointing out, this is not a gradual change. It's not something that's, that's taken place over time. But what happened in my life, what happened in your life as we gave ourselves to Christ is that we made a 180-degree turn. I was going in this direction, and now I'm going in this direction. And now he's saying, as you're walking in this direction, walk this way, right? Isn't that a song from the 70s or something? Walk this way, walk this way. Walk in the holiness that now defines you. And, and grasp this. This is, this is critical to this passage. You'll see... Uh, several references to this. What he's saying here, he's talking about what goes on in our mind. How we think is how we live. What goes on internally with me, with, within me and within you is going to be what plays out externally in the world and in, in the world in which I live and how I behave. And he's saying our thinking and our actions flow, our actions flow out of our thinking. How we think, therefore, is how I'm going to live. And there's an underlying theme all throughout this. He's saying, I want you to think right. Don't think in old ways. If, if you're doing old patterns in old ways, you're probably thinking in old patterns in old ways. Don't think that way. And he says, don't walk in that way. People who don't know Jesus live in the futility of their minds, he said. They're, they're, they're darkened in the futility of their minds. They, they don't know better. There's an ignorance to, to living in the futility of our minds. And what Paul gets after in this passage is he gives them actually a pattern that takes place in the world, the world in which we live. There's this pattern of sin that happens in the world in which we live. And we were once caught up in that pattern of sin. He's saying, hey, I no longer want you to be caught up in that. And, and he lays it out. There's a, there's a rhythm and a pattern to it. He says they were darkened in their own understanding. understanding. They were alienated from the life of God darkened in their own understanding. They didn't know better. There was an ignorance. They didn't know, and I don't mean ignorance in terms of a condemnation, but they didn't know better. 
And so people that don't know better don't act better, right? When you know better, hopefully it moves you to a new place. But he said they, they didn't know Jesus. They were, alienated. they were alienated from God in the ignorance of their minds. They didn't know him. And what happens when we're alienated from God in the ignorance of our mind, he says, it moves to a hardness of heart. There's, there's a part of our heart that gets hardened. And then he moves even further and he says, this hardness of heart that takes place with people that are in the world, what happens in it becomes callous. It becomes even more thick and, and more intense and, and more difficult to penetrate. They're, they're, they're not allowing even the truth to get in. And it becomes thicker so far that it reaches and leads to, he says, all degrees of sensuality living to please ourselves to every kind of impurity, to every kind of impurity. He said there's a pattern and a rhythm to, to, to being ignorant and not knowing better and then falling into this pattern. He's saying, I don't want you to be caught up in this anymore. And, and what he's referring to to the church, he goes, if you're not careful, you'll go back to old ways because old patterns and old ways die hard. He's calling them away from that. And there's not a one of us in this space, in any room, anyone listening to my voice from any of our venues today, who's eradicated the pattern of sin in this world. Have you? Good. Nobody raised their hand in this room. I hope nobody raised their hand in any other room. Nobody's erased that pattern of sin in this world. And if we're not careful, what happens? And, and we know this to be true because we've gotten sucked back in. We've gone back to old ways. We've gone back to this old pattern where this cycle takes place. And we allow our hearts to get hardened. And then all of a sudden, the things that used to be wrong aren't so wrong anymore. And we become callous. And then those things that become callous lead us to all, senses, all, all ideas of impurity and greedy and lust. All these things that happen because we've opened the door. We've given root to them. And Paul says, that's not who you are. Someone doesn't get up one day and decide to have an affair, get involved in sexual sin, pornography, slander, Follow, follow your heart and your mind wherever that list goes for you. It doesn't start with the external. It starts internally. It starts with what takes place in my mind, how I think, how I believe, and what I believe to be true about what, what and who God says I am. And Paul's saying, I want you to walk away from that. I want you to walk away from the old pattern of life. That doesn't define you anymore. And inherent in this imperative, I think it's important to note, is what he's saying in this pattern of, of sin that we get caught up in, and, and he says, that's where the world is. In the, in the futility of their thinking, that's where they are. And, and here's where we got to be really careful, because I think the church oftentimes comes across like judgmental people. Oh, you're living right, and, and you're judging me because I'm not. And you know why people think that about us? Because a lot of you think that way. Yes, and you act that way. You give the world a picture like, well, we figured it out. The world's gone to hell in a handbasket. Look at this. Look at this. Look at that. We point to all the evils in the world. And I don't believe that's the seat of judgment we should be sitting in. When Paul says, hey, hey they've, they're missing out on the life of God. They've been alienated because of their ignorance, because they don't know better. They're missing out on the life of God. It shouldn't put us in the seat of judgment. What, what and where that should place me and you as the church, it should put us in the seat of empathy. They don't know better. Why would they act any different if they didn't know better? And that God would stir in our hearts and our minds just because we've moved forward in, in, in turning and going in a different direction, that we'd still have empathy that would move us to a place of praying for and engaging in a way that causes that person not to be ignorant anymore, but to know the truth that, that's only found in Jesus and Christ alone. Paul calls us the believers in Ephesus to no longer live like those who don't believe. Don't live like people who don't believe. So a couple questions that all allow us to stir us up a little bit is this, like, when you think of the world and how they live, how do they live? What are the things that you think of when you look at other people and the world in which you live and the, the week you just came out of or the week you're getting ready to go into and the things that irk you about the way the world lives? What, what irks you about that? How, how's the world living? 
And I think a fair question is to ask yourself this, like, where, where in my disturbance about that person or that reality that they're, they're struggling with or in, where, where might that be reflecting something in me? <laughs> where have I given root to this pattern, this cycle uh, of sin that takes place if we're not careful, if we're not turning our eyes and focus toward walking with Christ in a manner worthy that he's called us to. Where am I being caught up and pulled in as well? Paul moves on, and he says, as a follower of Jesus, my new identity is based on the truth of Jesus and what he says about me. In the truth of Jesus and what he says about me. Paul's still driving home the internal. How and what we think has everything to do with how we live. How and what I think has everything to do in how I live. He says in verse 20, but that's not the way you learn Christ, pointing to the futility of their thinking, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is what? In Jesus. As the truth is in Jesus. Be sure to catch it again. Paul's going, that's not how you learn Christ. How I thought about him, how I was instructed, how my mind wrapped my heart around what's true about me. That's not how I learned Christ. That's not how I was taught. Again, he's, he's engaging us. He says, I want you to have right thoughts. I want your thought pattern to be in line with what Christ says it's supposed to be. Why? Because we're holy. He goes back. Be, why would I think that way? Be, because I've been made to be a holy person. Paul says, I urge you. Anybody ever tried to get somebody to do something or grasp something? Like, it's the language here. You got to grasp this. He goes, I urge you. He's pleading with them. He's almost screaming it to them. In fact, we were in a prayer meeting just before this, and one of the, the gals said, I have a picture of this. He said, she said, it, it feels like what, what, what the scriptures are trying to do is like, like a cow that gets branded, right? You see that, I urge you to actually drive home this identity of who you are and now who you are as a holy person in Christ because I want you to get it. I want you to live out of that. And so Paul's pleading with them. And then he even uses the Jesus card. I think that's always a wise move. He goes, I urge you, but he says, how they learn Christ, but I testify in the Lord. Not just my opinion, he says. I got Jesus backing me up on this one. I urge you, and I testify in Jesus. That's not who you are. That's not who you were. This is who you are. You're now holy people. And if you're like me, the word holy gets in my grill a little bit. Because you're th sitting here thinking like, I get that. Yeah, the scriptures say that. That's, I can't argue with that. But internally, you know what I'm doing? I'm arguing with that. Because when I look at me, I don't see a holy person. When you look at me, you're going, yeah, we don't see it either, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And yet, that's not the truth of who I am. And, and where do I come to these conclusions about not being holy? Right? You're thinking right now, like, Mark, if you knew what I did yesterday, you would not be encouraging me to be holy. I'm so far from holy. Mark, if you knew the story of my life, if you knew the things that I've been involved with all the way back 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, this doesn't define me. This has got to be about somebody else. This can't be about me. And Mark, I look at other people, they look like holy people. In fact, when I'm around them, they kind of get under my skin a little bit because they're just that daggum nice and good and kind and godly. You know, people that are living right make you feel bad. If you're not living right, they don't do it, but you're just doing it inside, right? There's, there's some distance we feel between who we think we are and who we are. And at the crux of this, hear this, folks. At the crux of this, we have to answer a question in our minds. Who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe my truth or his truth? He says the truth is in Jesus. Jesus. 
Our truth and who we're identified by and who gets to define us is in Jesus. That's who we're called to be. That's who we're called to be. When I look at myself, I don't feel holy. I don't see a holy person. And yet, when Christ looks at me, he sees something very different. Am I going to believe the truth in Jesus or my truth? And I got to tell you, I know we've talked about this before. Let me get up on the soapbox for a second. You see me? I'm a little bit higher right now. I hate this my truth stuff that's going on right now. I got to live my truth. Yeah, I get it, right? Let's not, again, let's not criticize the world because they're living in the futility of their own hearts and lives. But let me criticize us. We don't have my truth. If you're a follower and a believer in Jesus, your truth got surrendered. You hear me? No, seriously, your truth got surrendered. It's not your truth anymore. Your truth will change. My truth's changed. I had a strong truth, my truth, five years ago. I feel different about it today. I might feel different about it 10 years from now. My truth is under the umbrella of the truth and authority based in Christ and Christ alone. That's where my truth is found. Folks, our truth is found in Christ, in Christ alone, in Paul's drill in his home. And he goes, folks that don't see it this way and, and are trying to put on some kind of a holy reality and a holy behavior, you know what happens to those folks? They end up in the ditch. Let me just use some terms that we're familiar with, and most of us wouldn't see ourselves this way until you're in the ditch. It's legalism. It's going after holiness by doing this, 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 and this. Well, this is what holy people do, so I'm going to do this, 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 and this. The motive's in the wrong spot. Do you get that? And what happens when you're doing this, 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 and this to be holy? You can't be holy. It never happens. You never arrive. You never get there. You're never holy enough because you can't be, because you can't do this, 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 and this and earn something because it's already been done and earned for you. And so where people find themselves, and a lot of folks, there's a few folks in my life who are in the ditch because they fell into legalism. It's a cancer. It'll kill your faith. It'll kill it. Paul's not calling you to do something that you're not. He's saying, I want you to be who you are, not aspire to something that's already taken place. I read a book last fall, and I don't read, I don't read books twice. It, it, it was a book called The Cure, and, and I don't know why this book got up in my grill in a really good way. Like, I haven't read a book in a long time. And I read it twice because I thought, there's nothing new that I read in there, but th just the way this, this group of authors wrote, I don't know, it just got into a, a simple reality that I needed to hold on to and grab. And here's what he says. Here's what the author, authors of The Cure say. Nothing you believe and depend upon is more magnificently freeing than this single truth. You're no longer who you were, even on your worst day. Stop. You're no longer who you were, even on your worst day. Trusting and leaning upon Christ in you is the source of every shred of strength, joy, healing, and peace. Now hold on to your seat. This is where it gets really exciting. This is backing up Paul. What we believe happened in the moment of trusting Jesus affects everything. That start is called justification, which means to be made right. What happened when I said yes to Jesus and moved from the futility of my thinking to trust in the truth of who Jesus is is a switch that got flipped, and I'm now walking in the righteousness and holiness that he defines and declares me to be. That's the truth of who we are. That's the same question that happened in the garden. That's the same question you and I wrestle with today. You've got to be clear in your mind and in your heart. That's the decision you've made. The goal is not to change me. Hear me. We've already been changed. We've already been changed. But the goal, like we talked about last week, if, if turning and moving into righteousness, 
That's called justification. We've been justified. We've been justified by the, the blood of Christ on the cross. We talked about this last week. It's another word, sanctification. It's where the Holy Spirit doesn't change me. He's changed me, but he transforms me. He moves me further and further as I engage with him into maturity as I grow up in Christ. The goal isn't to change me. You've been changed, but, but to be the very people that God's called you to be. It'd be like me getting married in 1989. I dated a bunch of gals before Terry, and me getting married and then still dating a bunch of people. But I wouldn't fly in Terry's world. I'm now married. So what? Act married. And what he's saying here is, you're now holy. Act holy. Not to earn anything. That's a done deal. But because of who you are. Paul, in his next section in this letter, he he, uh, he sets the stage. And so if you're not going to agree and get to a place where you go, all right, this is how the scriptures, how Jesus defines me, then, then don't even come back for the next few weeks because it's not going to mean anything to you. Because what Paul's going to get after in the next couple chapters of this book is he's going he's to talk about with us, hey, this is what it looks like to live holy in all these relationships. And so if you don't believe you're a holy person because Jesus made you that way, the next several weeks are just going to confuse you and, and really perturb you. So... I'd hate to tell you not to come. That's not what preachers should do. <laughs> or come and engage and try to move into this with us because he's, he's calling us to a new place. And, and part of living as a new people, he says, you got to take off the old stuff to put on the new, right? I'd take off the clothes I had yesterday so I could put on the clothes for today. In verse 22, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Take it off. Take the old stuff off. And then, you know what? Keep it off. That's what he's talking about with us. He says, hey, you, you followers of Jesus, you saints, you holy people, don't go back to the old patterns. Take that old stuff off and leave it off. Put on the new stuff. Put on the, put on the garments that I've, I've died to give you. And if you don't think the evil one is at play to keep you from doing this, you're missing it completely. The evil one wants nothing more than for you to go back to the old pattern of life that wants to find you because then he can, he can render you actually powerless, powerless in your own life and powerless to the work that God's called you to do. I hope you're playing along at home. I think Dave said that a week or so ago. What he meant by that, I hope you're doing the live it out section in, in the bulletin. Last week on Thursday, I think it was, we had a, um, a, a video that was from uh, the Bible Project folks. And they're starting to set the stage for us and what we're going to cover in chapter 6. And what they're saying is there's a spiritual realm going on. We've covered it and we've hit on it throughout the series. We're going to hit it even harder in a couple weeks. But what he's saying is, hey, what we see, feel, and touch, that's physical. And that's real. But what's also real is there's a spiritual realm taking place. There's an evil sense of, of, of spirituality in this world as well as a spiritual sense of spirituality in this world that we're a part of. It, it's spiritual that the Spirit of God, God himself, would come to reside in me. That's spiritual. That's taking place. And the battle that I find myself in every day is living in the spiritual reality in the world in which I live because everything around me is pointing to me wanting to go back to the old pattern of life. And Paul's saying that's a reality for the believer. Yes, you've been changed. Yes, you've been transformed. Yes, I'm changing you and maturing you. But at the same time, there, there's a struggle that you're still in. Go back to Romans. Paul said, why do I do the very things I hate? The very things I hate, I end up doing. The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. I mean, is the man confused? He's not. What he's pointing at is there's a reality that we live in a spiritual battle. We're at war. Do you hear me? We're at war. And if you don't think you are, try living the life of a follower of Christ, all in your own strength. I have. I've tried it. 
it lands me in a ditch. I can't do it in my own strength. It's the Spirit of God, the power of Christ in me that allows me the power to actually be obedient to the very things I know he's called me to, to, be, to be and do. It's who I want to be, but I can't do it on my own strength. There's a spiritual warfare we're in, and Paul's calling it attention to that. But in the midst of it all, he says, I want you to be holy. Why? Because it's no longer, you're no longer who you were. You're now a new people. So take that stuff off and put on the new. How we think about who we are gives way to how we live. Taking off what is unholy allows me to put on what is new. He goes even further in verse 23 and 4. He says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You getting it again? He's still talking about what's going on up here between both of my ears. He says, I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and what? Say it out loud. Holiness. I want you to be renewed by the spirit of your minds that you'd be a holy people. As a follower of Jesus, my new identity requires me to live different. And I hope you grasp this so far. For me to live different, what do I have to do? i got to think different. He's calling us to a, a right thinking. He's calling our thought life into alignment with him, his own, with Christ. Paul's exhortation here is to live our lives in a new way. He says it also in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Be renewed by the spirit of your minds in your inner human. Be renewed there. And yet, there's so many parts of what goes on in, in my inner human, in our inner narratives, that, that, that cause me have to, to, to stop and reflect and go, am I living? Am I living in a place, in a space where God would say, yeah, you're, you're living in response to my holiness. Let me give you an example. That's a big thing for me. Hey, uh, a few years back, uh, I, I wrestled with the, the idea of, um, of really, who am I? <laughs> who am I? And so I came up with a, a, a conclusion. Actually, it's not even a few years, but it would go all the way back to my 20s or 30s. It's more than a few years. And here's how I define myself internally. There, you know how you have these narratives that go on in your head? I don't think I ever spoke it out loud, but, but if, if, if someone were to ask me, like, hey, what's a bottom line definition of who you think you are in this whole faith thing? Here, here's what I would have said. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And, and you know, I, I realized that it must be what I was really thinking. I was at a dinner party, and uh, we were talking after dinner and having dessert and coffee, and the, the question came up. You know, there's always these hosts or hostess have, you know, questions because they're afraid of the silence in the room and conversation won't happen. So this question came up, and, it, you know, it was kind of, I felt like it was kind of forced, but it was like, okay, you have to decide tonight what's going to be on your gravestone. You have to do it. All right. So I, what came out of my mouth without even thinking was, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. MDH, sinner saved by grace. And back to this book called The Cure, it got up in my head. And I realized, I don't know that that is what I should be thinking. And going back a series or two before, remember our, our series on heaven? I always had a thought and a concept about heaven. And here's what I thought about heaven. Now hear me, this is my, my thoughts about heaven in the past. I'm not telling you this is how you should think about heaven. But my thoughts about heaven were this. I made it in. I'm in. The gate's here, it's behind me. 
And there's this beautiful picture I have about being in. There's a swarm of people. It's a bright spot and a bright place. There's this swarm of people. We're all moving in this direction toward this like convention gathering hall. And, and, and folks are flooding in. It must be the orientation of what's going to take place and the, the, the initial greeting, the big banquet that we're going to be a part of up in, up in glory. And so I, I'm moving into the room and I can see it at a far distance. It's a massive room and it's spectacular. There's people from all over the world. It's colorful. It's encouraging. It's exciting. It's, it's incredible to, to partake. And I, I look up in the front of the room and there's this massive head table. It's beautiful. And, and in the center, you can imagine who I see. I see Jesus in the center. And then there's all these folks from the scriptures and the disciples are all gathered around him. And then as you move back in the crowd, it moves from priority seating to, to general admission. It really does. This is in my head, right? I'm just being honest. And, and where do I see me? And don't hear this as negative, because up until a couple years ago, I thought this was pretty positive. If this is the line right here of, 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 of the room, there's all these doorways along the back of the room. And I'm in the far left doorway, and, and my feet are just over the edge. For some of you who understand this, I'm in the room where it happens. I'm in the room. I'm not feeling bad about being there. I feel relieved. I'm in the room. My toes are over the edge. I'm in the room where it happens. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And for the longest time, I thought, that sounds pretty humble. You know, and maybe even spiritual. I think that's what my subconscious was going for. And here's what the Holy Spirit did in my mind and in my heart. Mark, that's not humility. That's arrogance. That's arrogance. In fact, that's actually out and out sin. That you would see yourself, you think God sees you as a sinner saved by grace. That might be true, but that's not who you are. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. You're more than that. You believe your truth. Talk about my truth. You know, we can condemn people for living in their truth. We all live in some truth. We don't say it out loud. Maybe we're not using the vernacular that's current. But we're living in some truth that we have come to conclusions about from what people have said to us, a narrative that we've lived in, how we've seen ourselves and church and God. And we come to these conclusions. And we might not say it out loud and defend it on a soapbox, but we're living my truth. And Jesus is saying to me and he's saying to you, your truth doesn't matter. Your truth is caught up in the gospel. Your truth was taken care of on the cross. Your truth is now you're a holy people. I'm a holy person. When God sees me, he sees someone who's holy. He sees me being right. He says, I've been created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's who he's made me to be. That's who he's made you to be. We're image bearers. He's made us who he's always intended us to be from the foundations of the world. He's made us to be like himself, holy and righteous. We'd be a people unto him. And I think among the many things that have robbed me and robbed so many of you of this reality in our lives are two things for Christians. I think there's a lot of other things, but they're, they're two things. And they're tools of the Holy Spirit, but they get misused in our life. The first is this. It's guilt, and the second is shame. Guilt and shame, both tools of the Holy Spirit. Guilt says, I, I've stolen Shame says, I'm a thief. Guilt says, the Holy Spirit says, something's not right. I'm going to use guilt in your life, and it's a good thing, and it should be seen as a good thing, because you need to know that you've stepped out of line in some way, and I want you to be right. Not because, not because I'm trying to hit you on the back of the head. I want you to be living a life that I designed for you to live. Guilt, guilt moves me there. It moves me to a place of confession and ownership so I can move back into a relationship with him that, 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 that's right for me. Shame is also a tool of the Holy Spirit. And here's where it's used. You were once darkened in the futility of your thinking. You're a sinner. 
And that's shameful because that's who you are. You're a sinner. But for us as followers and believers in Jesus, the cross took care of your shame. Do you hear me? Let me urge you and testify on behalf of Jesus himself too. I'm using the Jesus card. The cross took care of your shame and mine. That no longer defines me. That no longer has ownership in how I see myself and how I allow you to see me. I'm no longer marked by the shame. I'm not... I'm not a vile person. I'm not a liar. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a person of pornography. I'm, I'm not those things. Even though I may still struggle on all that stuff, that's not who I am. And that's not who you are. And if we don't live in, in the truth of who we are, those patterns get, get, get under our skin and pull us back into places we, don't, we have no business being. And so it feels odd for me to say this to you. On my gravestone, if I die today or tomorrow, maybe it'll happen. It should just say MDH, a holy man. That feels as awkward for me to say to you out loud as it would be to come by my graveside. <laughs> and yet here's the truth about that. That's who I am. That's who you are. A holy person, not because of anything I've done, everything that Jesus has done. That's who we are. Our new identity in Christ requires me to live differently, and it flows out of right thinking. Paul hits this over and over. This isn't just one passage of Scripture. In Romans chapter 12, he says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Your mind. Think right. Allow your thinking to be infiltrated by, by what's true about you, by who you are. I, I love this, this book. I love Ephesians because it gives us a clear picture of, of what the church is supposed to be about. It's the values of the local church. And I love that, and, and it's just not by accident that our values here line up with that. If you want to have right thinking about who God is, what do you got to do? You got to be in a place where your mind is engaged in right thinking. Where do we do that? We do that in the Word of God. We do that in the Scriptures. It's the Word of God. We, we, we need to be people of the book People of the scriptures, people of the Bible. Yes, on the weekends, we're going to preach it, teach it. But all throughout the week, as you gather in groups, as you meet as a family, as you have relationships with other people, that we would be people who are actually engaged in the word of God because it's the word of God, the truth of who he says he is, that's going to penetrate my heart. The Holy Spirit takes truth and, and drives that deep into who I am. Do you hear me? We've spent some effort lately putting... Um, the live it out section in your bulletin. We've always had it in there, but we're actually calling us more and more. Do you think this is an infomercial? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Because this is who we are. And, and we wanted to find something that was simple, daily, and doable. This is simple, daily, and doable. There's not a one of you in this space that can't find some time in your life to take a few minutes each day to engage individually and with the rest of us. And may it encourage you to know that you're not doing it alone. We're all doing it together, that we're living it out together, that we're going to go back into the word, ask good questions about the word, and allow the spirit of God to continue to teach me and, and, and to actually align my mind so that my life and my, and my patterns of living will, will reflect him. And it's been so encouraging because so many of you have come to us and said, hey, I've never done that before. We're doing it. Our family's doing it. My growth group's doing it. We're, friends are doing it. We're, we're actually having conversations throughout the week. It's been encouraging. Thank you for the encouragement. And if you're doing it, tell some and staff. It's encouraging for us to know that, that what we believe God's called us to call you to is happening. There was a gal on one of our campuses a couple weeks ago, and she was praying that her parents would come to church for months. Please, God, please let them come to church. Please, let's let them come to church. And a couple weeks ago, she was walking onto the campus with tears in her eyes, and somebody said, what are you crying for? And she looked behind me. Parents are walking in behind her. And we found out a few days later, she's been taking the live it out section in the bulletin and actually sitting down with her parents during the week and living it out. 
taking them back in the scriptures, asking simple, easy questions about who God is and who God says we are. Folks, that's who we're called to be. And as you've gathered from this, this message, from this series we're in, from the book of Ephesians, it's a we thing. It's what we're doing together. We need each other to, to be the church. We need each other to live this stuff out together. No one can be holy all by yourself. You can't. In fact, some of your holiness is defined by how you live with us. So you can't do it by yourself. We're called to live it out together. That's why it's important that we do it in communities like this and gatherings like this, in group settings and in individual settings. We're called to actually walk and do life together where the Spirit of God allows us to step into each other's lives. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, like that we would be a people who speak the gospel, that we speak truth, that we speak truth, and we speak truth in love. Well, how do you do that out of relationship? I've had people do that. People have walked up to me and spoken truth to me, and it's really been a harsh reality because there's no love. There's no relationship. It's the context of relationships. And so we need relationships. I hope if you're here and a part of True Rivers Church that, that you're gathering with us on the weekends, that, that you have relationships that, that, with each other that, that far reach beyond a gathering at church. This is so important. But what also is so important is that you gather, whether it's in groups, organized groups or, or individual groups, and that you'd have people, friends that do life with you. Let me speak to folks that are like older, and I'm including myself in that I'm older now. The older you get, the harder it is to make friends. Anybody? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> you remember back in like high school and college? It just happened. You all, you're on a team with somebody and all of a sudden this guy's your best friend. Or in college you move into a a room and this guy that has nothing to do with anything that any any background in your life or world ends up being a guy you think about and is the best man at your wedding and you still talk talk to him and call him friendships just kind of happen and they do still happen i'm sure as you've moved here and and folks have gathered that, that friendships sort of just happen but but a lot of us are, are are transplants here 10 years ago i came here and i had no friends no friends i left a ton of great friends and some really close friends back in charlotte one close friend that I spent a lot of time with, we met every Tuesday at 11.30 for Chinese uh, food at, at JoJo's China Bistro. And, and I, I, he, he said this was the Italian, but he said, uh, hey, Fi bravo. He said, that's Italian. I said, what's that mean? He goes, it means do the right thing. And so no matter what we were talking about, he was always calling me to do the right thing. And not just do the right thing in the world setting, but do the right thing in terms of how, how I live for Christ. And when I came here, like so many of you, I, I, welcome. Let me just say this. I don't know what you feel from folks in the South um, when, when you've moved from Chicago or California or somewhere else, but, you know, I want to tell you, personally, we are really glad you're here. We're really glad you're here. And we recognize being here, it takes a while to, to build those friendships. And it feels awkward, doesn't it? To move into someone's life and go, hey, would you be my friend? <laughs> Maybe you won't say it that way. But when you ask somebody to meet you for coffee two weeks in a row, what are you doing? You're trying to build a friendship. And it feels awkward to make the ask because what, would they might, what, what might they do? No, I, I can't meet with you. I mean, it, it's awkward. But let me just tell you, please, please move into the awkward. Move into the space that allows you to be known by somebody and allows you to know somebody so that if something's off in your life, somebody can step into your world and go, hey, I want to speak the truth in your life because I know you well enough. And, and man, that doesn't look like a person following Jesus. I have somebody in my life I meet regularly with. We talk about everything, everything. And yet here, underlying, underlying in our conversations is this question always. It's not said directly. Hey, what does following Jesus look like in this? In my marriage? In my parenting adult children? 
in my finances, in the way I live, in the way I function, what I do with my time. What does following Jesus look like? Folks, that's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to, to live according to who we are. How do I live a holy life? It's by living with other saints and holy people and aligning my heart and my life in the things that I know that I ought to be thinking about, the things I know I, I, I ought to be convincing my mind and my brain are true so I can live those things out. As we've drilled home over and over, it, it, it's a we thing. And so I hope as you think about Two Rivers Church and your participation here that you see this is who God's called us to. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see people come to know Jesus and be transformed by the renewing of their mind, that they would grow up in Christ. And that's going to come from every last one of us being a part of that. That's who God's called us to be. And one way we know that the Holy Spirit is working in our life is to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. And how do, I, how do I allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life? I hope this sounds familiar to you. It's by asking questions of Jesus. If I want Jesus to, to continue to form my mind to be like his, i got to ask him questions. Where in my mind right now do you want to bring alignment? Where in my mind right now do you want to continue to transform me and to mature me more and more into the person you've already defined me to be? And so we're going to ask you two questions this week. The first we're going to ask together. And the first is this. Who do you believe about who you are? Who do you believe about who you are? In fact, I'm going to ask you, every one of you to bow your heads right now, here in our other venues. I want to pray for us. God, I know that at the very core of this passage, at the very core of, of, of who you've called us to be, we, we have to come to a decision, just like, just like took place in the garden. Do I believe my truth or your truth? Who, who do I believe? Who do we believe about who we are? Who, who's... Whose voice have we allowed? What narrative have we allowed? I know in my own life, I, I feel like all throughout my life, I was told I wasn't enough. And at the same time, I was told I was too much. That left me confused in a space I didn't know where I belonged. And it's a narrative that I feel like has, has had ownership in my life. I've allowed experiences in my life, as we have allowed experiences in our life to define us and to say things about us that are not true. In fact, if we're, if we're really bluntly honest, they're lies from the pit of hell. Who do we believe about us? Is it something someone said to us when we were 10 years old or 10 days ago? God, would you, would you allow us to answer that question? Because until we do, we can't move forward. We can't move into the, the, the reality of, of who you've defined us to be until we answer that question. And, and, and then who are we going to allow to speak truth into our lives? God, I know every, every man, woman, and child who's, who's a part of this conversation, even right now with you, God, we long to be defined by people as a people defined by you, that we are made holy because you died to make us holy and you declare it to be so. God, it's in that truth. It's in that truth. God, would you, would you allow us to answer the question and move forward? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And this week, I hope you'll, I hope you'll wrestle with this question. I hope you'll wrestle and think through and ask Jesus this question. Where are you calling me to move further into how you've defined me? You said I'm holy. I don't want to work at a bunch of stuff to be holy. I'm holy. Where are you calling me to move further into the reality of, of my position that's now yours? My position that's now found in Christ. Where, where are you calling me to that? Is it relationship? Is it the scriptures? Where, where are you calling me to? And I, I promise you this. Part of the answer to this question is going to be found in you living it out together with the rest of us. It's going to be found in the Word. 
What's going to be found is the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and drills that home into your heart like no one else can. And hopefully then confirmed by the masses of the saints that are around you that you're engaging with in relationship. So let's stand now in this venue and across our campuses and all venues and worship a holy God.